got your Bibles, turn with me to uh, 1 Kings, please. 1 Kings chapter 17. I was intending to pick up where I did a couple of weeks ago, which was start to unpick a little bit about the Ephesians 4 ministry. But um, uh, as I was praying, I just felt uh, the Lord lead me to this particular passage yeah, 1 Kings 17. I'm actually going to try in the next half an hour just to tell you the story of Elijah from 1 Kings 17 to 1 Kings 19. So I won't actually be reading it out uh, word for word because that will take us about half an hour to do that. Um, but it's very interesting. The, if I just give you a bit of a framework, there's a sort of a, a, sort of a bookend piece to the, the scriptures I want to do. The first, uh, they, they both start with a sort of a wilderness moment. The, uh, Elijah is found in 1 Kings 17 in, uh, by a brook, Kerith Brook. And uh, he has prophesied about a drought coming to the land of Israel. And if you go right to the other uh, end of the bookend, so to speak, you've got uh, Elijah in 1 Kings 19, who the Lord speaks to him. That uh, awesome passage. He's, um, he's run away and he's in the wilderness again where God speaks to him. There's something very significant about that. We're, we're talking at the moment about spiritual authority, and I wanted to, I just felt the Lord lead me to this passage to say, uh, in order to summarize, in a sense, what we've been doing over the last number of months around spiritual authority. It's almost like Elijah, the story of Elijah sort of unveils something about spiritual authority that we want to dig into. And at the end of these two bookends, where there is a sort of a, an assignment or an order given by God. There's the order about the drought coming, and then he's in the drought. And then there's the order about what he's to do next at the second, uh, second scene. Right in the middle, you get this, well, one of probably the most powerful God encounters or God meeting earth, where he's up Mount Carmel, and you get all the uh, prophets of Baal, and they all doing their stuff, and they can't do anything. And then he does his stuff, and he speaks, and fire consumes the the offering on the, 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 uh, the, the altar they create. And it's probably one of those centerpiece moments in Scripture of an incredible power encounter of God. And as we've been tracking through spiritual authority, I realized that what we're trying to see is that we want to be a people that move in the authority of heaven so that power encounters happen as a consequence of it. The focus, I, I don't believe, should be on the power, the focus should be on the authority we carry. And uh, I've, I was just uh, mulling over during the worship, um, just the Lord again spoke to me a bit more. And on, on the one hand, I think there's something about we get orders and operate in obedience. So God gives us orders or assignments or he speaks to us about what he wants us to do, our purpose in life, our orders. And our response to orders is obedience. Yeah? Would you, would you agree with that? If we get an order from heaven... What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do what God speaks to us about. So the us bit of spiritual authority, so to speak, the bit that we, you and I are supposed to do, is listen in enough to God and get some orders and then obey what he tells us to do. The God bit, which you'll see in these three chapters, I believe is about provision and power. If God has given you an order, and if you are obedient to what he's called you to do, well, then it's up to him to bring the provision and release the power in your life. You see, no matter how much I'd like to think I can do it, I can't generate enough heavenly power on my own 
You know, I just don't have the ability. But there's something about when God rests on us, then we can do the stuff. So, so our part of the equation of spiritual authority is we hear the orders of heaven and obey what the orders of heaven are. The God bit of the equation is if we're doing that, then God will provide us with everything we need to get the mandate done and back it up with his power. And so that's the sort of, that's basically the summary. So you can fall asleep now, that's fine. You know, it's okay. Uh, you can fall asleep and, uh, because that's, that's basically the message. So in, uh, well, let's, ha- let's see if I'm right. So 1 Kings 17, um, the first bit, he, I love this uh, bit. He says, drink from the brook. He says, he, 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 God speaks to Elijah and declares a famine in the land. He doesn't actually say in the scripture here how long the famine is going to last. He just says there's going to be a famine. And so Elijah is obedient to God. He, he declares there's going to be a famine in the land. And then he, he's thinking, oh my goodness, I've just declared a famine. Now what? What am I going to eat? Uh, not a very, I'm sure he wasn't a very popular prophet. Well, Ahab and Jezebel certainly didn't think he was a very uh, nice man to have around. But then God takes him to Kerith Brook, and it's this amazing, and it says in verse 4 there, drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I've commanded them to bring you food. We just have to listen into God and wherever, do whatever he says to the point where he will do it. He will provide us through the most miraculous means. Well, drink from the brook is fine because that's natural, but the raven's bringing you food. God will provide if we're obedient. And if we want to see a release of authority on the earth, well, we have to learn how to be obedient to his command in our life. Uh, We're we're never going to see spiritual authority move amongst us if we don't learn how to be obedient to his voice in our life and respond to it. The story moves on, and in verse 7, it says that the brook dries up. Now, that, that, that arrested my attention. God spoke to Elijah and says, go to the brook and drink from the brook. And then the brook dries up. Now, Elijah's response wasn't, oh my goodness, but this is the place of promise. This is where he told me to go, and the brook has dried up. Because that's the logic, isn't it? If the brook dries up, something must have gone wrong. I sort of feel that sometimes we hold on to when God says something and we don't often recognize there's a season shift because God moves things on. God isn't actually a static sort of God. He speaks to us about things, but then he is a moving God and he moves on as well. So here we have Elijah. He's drinking from the brook and the brook dries up. It's not that God has left the brook. It's the season has changed. And spiritually as a people, we have to recognize when it's season shift, when, when it's a sense that God is, is moving us on, when God is shifting something around us, in us, amongst us. And we'll see that is played out a lot in this scene coming up. The very things that God sent, gives, to, uh, gives to us, the very things that he provides for us, actually can suddenly stop. Have you ever had that in your own life where the very provision of God seems to stop? And you get many moments of crisis when you go, oh my goodness, but that was God's provision to me. Well, it's just that God wants to provide for you in a new way. The next bit of the season is God is still the God of provider. That's why we've got to have rooted in our heads that God is good. One of our values, the goodness of God. 
if we don't have rooted in our head that God is good and God is always good, then when provision stops, we can start thinking, well, is he trying to discipline me? Is he trying to chastise me? And so on, I'm being taught a lesson or something. No, listen in and be obedient to God. So that's what Elijah did. He was actually obedient to God, and he finds himself um, in the house of the widow at Zarephath. So he moves it along, and he finds his widow who, in a nutshell, is, has got, she's got a, a, a loaf of hovis and a pint of milk. That's all she's got in the whole house, nothing else. They've eaten, they've gone to the very back of the cupboard, and they've eaten absolutely everything. You know, the tin of beans that have been there for three years, and the... And the tomatoes, which everyone's got tomatoes somewhere in the back, and all the prunes and the dried fruit that's never actually been used because you made a Christmas cake once and it's still at the bottom, and the nuts and so on. All that is gone, and they're left with, they're literally left with not very much. And in walks Elijah, and Elijah says to um, her, well, you know, go and make me some, go make me something. She says, well, look, I haven't got anything. All I've got is a slice of old hovis and some milk, and that's it. That's not, by the way, what she had, but, you know, paraphrasing. And, uh, and she says, I was going to make that, and then basically I was going to get into bed and die. Because the famine was so bad by this point, there was literally nothing around, her and her son. He says, well, go, go, and, go and make it for me. And she did, and there's this amazing miracle of this provision happens for her, and it keeps happening and keeps happening and keeps happening. And... and God again provides. Now, I think that's something quite key here about our obedience. You know, I've been trying to reinforce over, over the weeks that it's not just about you. It's about us and God, not you and God. This isn't an individual relationship. The covenant between God and man is not an individualistic covenant. It's a covenant between a people. What I find fascinating here is Elijah's obedience to God was directly linked to her obedience. So when Elijah was obedient to go to the widow of Zarephath, what if she had turned around and said, well, you can just get stuff. I'm eating my own hovis. What, what would have happened? Now, I have no idea what would happen. Would God have provided another way? Elijah would have found somebody else, possibly. But uh, for, in order for Elijah to do what he was commanded to do, in order for him to fulfill the call of God for his life, which is coming up, by the way, he had, to, he had to rely on the obedience of somebody else. You see, I think we're incredibly linked to each other. My obedience towards God is linked somehow to yours. You're, we're, that's what it means to be part of a body. This idea that I have to hear God and obey, and actually you have to hear God and obey, and together your hearing and obeying links with my hearing and obeying, and together the whole thing is built to be a glorious temple. So, that, so we're not entirely on our own. If we want to move in levels of spiritual authority, then actually, you know what? We're going to have to get used to some sort of dependency on one another. That um, we need each other to fulfill the mandate that God has called us to as individuals. Many of you are sitting on assignments or orders from heaven, which frankly can't be fulfilled unless we all hear from God and do what we're supposed to do. Some of your assignments of God are somehow linked to other people that you're connected to. And until such a time as they hear God and move into what they're supposed to do, you can't move into what you're supposed to do. 
So Elijah, his obedience, my obedience needs your obedience. His obedience needed the woman. And I love the fact that the woman in faith followed it through with action. By the way, um, Deborah came up to me in the meeting just a minute ago and said, look, we can't just leave the praying for the Philippines without doing something. So what I'm going to ask is, I don't know if somebody can sort this out, but if you would like to give to the Philippines something on your way out, why don't we just have some buckets at the back there? And what we'll do is we'll send the money to Mercy in Action, um, who are a charity here in, in um, Bath, and we'll, uh, we'll get that money out to, we'll either send it direct to um, or we'll send it to Mercy in Action to administer. So we'll, we'll send some money out to them, okay? So if you would like, your heart was stirred as you prayed, it would be good. Why don't you just ask the Lord right now, Lord, what would you have me give to help those guys in the Philippines um, because of great need? Put a figure in my head right now and be, be obedient to God now and do something with what Eddie said. And we'll put some buckets at the back there, put them out as you go. Provision, you see, is part <coughs> of spiritual authority. I, I, you know, she goes away, she does what he says, has faith, comes back, and suddenly there's provision. If God has given you an order, an assignment, an instruction, a command, well, guaranteed he's going to give you the provision to fulfill it. Why, why would he tell you to do something that you haven't got a hope in heck of ever doing? Do, do you know what I mean? But we've got to have the faith to believe that God is going to provide for us whatever he has called us to do. Now, some of you are sitting on big visions. Some of you have got an awesome vision of what you believe God's call for your life is. Well, I believe if he's given you an awesome vision, he will provide the means to see that happen. See, the provision is, best will in the world, the provision is not your problem. You know, we can conjure it up and whatever. And yes, we have to respond like now. And I've just spoken about the Philippines. We have to respond to, we, we've got a bit we can do, yes, to support one another. But ultimately, provision is God's. And when we uh, share stories of, uh, you know, our offering and giving money, it's about trying to encourage you to have faith that as you sow, so God will provide. It's a principle running all the way through Scripture. And then there's this tragedy. The poor woman, we don't know how long... Um, uh, Elijah is there, but the implication of the text is that he was there for several years, staying with his woman, getting this miraculous provision all the time. And suddenly, tragedy, the son dies. You know, I, I, can you imagine? There he is, God is providing, this miracle is happening in front of them, and then tragedy, the, woman, the, the son dies. And the woman goes, well, why on earth did you come into my house? I was going to die a year or so ago, I was just going to, you know, what's this about? Elijah, filled with compassion, of course, goes up to the boy, lies on him three times, something of Trinity, something of the Godhead, something of bringing a reviving, and the sun comes to life. It's a, it's a wonderful little image of, of what we're called to do. People to carry the presence of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and release it into wherever we are. To bring revive, to revive whatever it is. You're supposed to be, your mandate, the kingdom mandate, is to bring a sense of reviving to whatever it is you find yourself involved in. And I think the, the point about this is, was it a tragedy? Or was it just a matter of perspective? There's something about Elijah who, who seems to be able to just 
operate on this utter confidence of what God has said to him and move in it in obedience. He just has this utter sense of conviction that if God has said it will happen. And so therefore, it's a matter of perspective. I've, said that I've, I've been using the illustration about we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, so we have to constantly get God's perspective on our situation. You may be facing a tragedy. You may be facing a crisis. You may be in the middle of it right now. Thankfully, you've got people, you should have people around you believing for you, praying with you, wrapping their arms around you. But it is, a, it is also about a change of perspective. That even in the roughest situation, and I have to say, the three years of famine here that were affecting, that were affecting the nation, it's a change of perspective that somehow if we see things through God's lens, even the worst tragedy can bring glory to God. We're not promised in Scripture an easy life. We're not promised it's all going to be plain sailing. There, there is no promise that you're not going to face difficulties. In fact, the reverse. We're promised that we will have to persevere. You know, even the blessing of God, we have to persevere. You know, a people of perseverance are a people who have learned what it is to set their hearts on things above. That's how you persevere. That's how you ride the storms of life. That's how you get through whatever it is you're facing. That we reset, recalibrate, and we say, no, I get my eyes set on things above and not on earthly things. I'm not going to allow the, the clash of life to rob me of my peace in God. I was talking to a friend of mine just this morning who got me in, friends of visiting us for the weekend. We were just talking about happiness and contentment. Actually, we want to be content in the spirit. We want to be content because we know the things of heaven. And even though life feels difficult, actually we can have that inner peace and contentment which says, you know what? We can rise above this. We can rise above this because God's in the house. God's on my case. God's spoken to me. And then that's when we've got to hold in there and persevere through whatever we, we face. Well, it goes on. Jezebel, uh, we're into chapter 18 now. Jezebel uh, kills some prophets, and Obadiah, one of the officials of the court, is went away and hid away a hundred prophets. Where you would hide a hundred prophets, I can't imagine. And, and what a hundred prophets would look like all in one room, or two rooms, actually, 50 in one, 50 in the other. I don't know how they would separate them out, but anyway, that's, that, that's an interesting group of people if ever I've heard of one. Um, but there was huge persecution going on, and Elijah is saying, go and tell King Ahab that I need to meet him on Mount Carmel. And Obadiah's going, you've got to be joking, because if you scarf her, I'm going to get... I'm going to get my throat cut. He says, I'll be here. I'll be on Mount Carmel. Tell Ahab and that wicked queen Jezebel to meet me. It's time to sort a few things out. Then you get this incredible Mount Carmel moment where uh, 950 prophets, uh, I think it's uh, meat, have this sort of moment of uh, confrontation. And you get the prophets of Baal all assembling. And Elijah pretty much, it's 950 to 1. Okay, that's the sort of the odds. And Elijah speaks to them and says, it's time to choose, guys. It's time to choose. Are you going to be on God's side or the other side? The choice is yours. 
so they, they start this contest, this great big confrontation. And the full, the, you know, they, the, the, the 950 prophets of Baal, they're, they're sort of, um, they're really going for it. And they're prophesying and they're calling on the name of God and nothing happens. Absolutely nothing happens. And then Elijah stands up. Oh, and oh, what a moment this must have been. He stands up and he speaks. And fire. And he, he makes it really hard. He, he puts the 12 stones. And I love the imagery here, by the way, because I think this scripture is not just full of fact, but it's full of symbolism and imagery. There's 12 stones, 12, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles of the New Testament, the sign of rooted authority. You know, he, he puts a sense of that sense of authority down. And then he calls for it to be covered over with water, pouring, baptizing it three times, Trinity, in, in water, covering it with water. And then and sacrifice is laid on the top, and Jesus, the, the sacrificial lamb, and he calls from far from heaven, and fire from heaven. You've got water and fire baptized in there. The, 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 the imagery is just rich in this, of foretelling something of a New Testament picture. And fire descends on the, on the offering and consumes it up. And superhero Elijah is feeling pumped at this point. I mean, you, you know, 950 doing all their stuff. He comes in and says, well, it would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Be? And suddenly fire falls from heaven. Wow. If I was one of the 950, I'd have been out of there big time. <laughs> Running down the road. Well, it was a bit, uh, they gathered the 950 and cut their throats and dealt with them. We can talk about that another day, perhaps. Because to our, our modern mind, that seems bizarre and difficult. You know, authority releases the power of God. There was something, it wasn't Elijah moving in power, it was Elijah standing in authority. And at the obedience to God, God comes. And I think if we stand in our authority and we learn to be a people who stand in the sense of what God has called us to do, God will back us up with power. Um, for many years in our sorts of churches, we've talked about uh, um, a restoration of signs and wonders to the church. Absolutely. But you know, the real restoration needs to happen is we understand who we are in Christ and that we stand in the authority of Jesus and that we are sons and daughters of the living God, and that God will back us up, not only in power, but with his provision. When we learn to do that, when we learn to listen into God, to obey him, to hear his orders, obey his orders, and stand in the provision that he has called us to operate in, we'll, we, we'll be able to see mountains moved. I think that's what Jesus said will happen, didn't he? If you have faith as small as the mustard seed, you can call these mountains to go from here to here, and it will do it. I think that's what this is about. It's about a, a reality check about the authority that we carry before the living God. Towards the end of 18, you get this. Uh, he then uh, gets on his knees and he prays, and he prays the rain and he there's a little scripture there it, it, it's around about verse 41 i think it is it says he prays for rain he he hears 
He says, go and look. I didn't hear anything. He hears the sound of heavy rain. I think it was probably something in his spirit that was hearing the sound. Now he believed that rain would come. Now that this moment of confrontation with the enemy had happened, now rain would come. I have to say, having sat under the ministry this week of some of our guys that we relate to around the world, <coughs> the message all over is that there is a sound of heavy rain. There is a sound of heavy rain. And we need to learn to tune our spirits again to the sound of heavy rain, that we want the rain of Jesus again amongst us. I don't believe it's just a rain to change us. I don't believe it's just a rain to give us a blessing or an experience. I believe it's a rain that should see revival, should see our city transformed, should see wherever we are transformed by the living God. That's what we want. And he kept looking seven times. You know, it's very easy, in, again, in cultures like our church culture, to get a bit, um, uh, to get a bit uh, lost in it all. Disappointment creeps in. We once had a vision for something that doesn't seem to have happened. Well, we've got to stop that selfish, short-term thinking. We need to be constantly learning how to lean in to God and hear again, to go and look again for the rain cloud to come. Let's look again for the cloud of his presence to come again. Let's look again and lean into God again to say, heavy rain, come. We want the rain of your presence upon us again. Don't allow disappointment to rob you of believing again that God's going to move in awesome grace and power again. Well, the story goes on. They've got this wonderful little story where uh, Elijah runs ahead of the chariot. Ahab goes back to the palace and is off to tell Jezebel, who is a cruel, wicked woman. And uh, he hitches his stuff in his pants. He sort of hitches his stuff up and hitches his pants. And he runs super fast past the chariot, like Roadrunner, if you remember Roadrunner. Beep, beep, running. Uh, I... Uh, but then something happens. Jezebel hears what's happened, and she makes these declarations. And, and somehow Elijah gets to hear about this, and he panics. Now, I have to say, I struggle with this scripture. Right. Elijah's just had three years. He prophesies about. He gets fed the whole time. He sees this mighty miracle with the woman of Zarephath. He raises somebody from the dead. He then... Uh, confronts 950 prophets of Baal and the other prophets were Asherah. He confronts 950 prophets. He calls on the fire of God. It falls from heaven. He kills all of those prophets. And now he's worried about what some woman is saying about him. I mean, I, I have to say, Elijah, what is going on in your head? What, what, what's going on here? You never, you never quite know why we react in the way we do about things. I don't know if your experience of that is. Um, sometimes we can all be full of faith. Or is this only my experience? Sometimes we can be full of faith. We can be full of the Holy Spirit. We can be going for it. We can believe that we are invincible. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know all those scriptures, don't you? All the ones that build us up. And then something will come in. Somebody will say something. Somebody will accuse us of something. 
somebody, something will happen to us. Some, some tragedy, some crisis, some something. And then it sort of cuts the ground from under us. And then we're, next thing we know, we're like Elijah, sitting under the broom tree, going, oh God, just kill me! He's just confronted 950 prophets and slaughtered them all, and the fire of God fell out of heaven, and he's sitting under a tree now, going, God, kill me. Weird, isn't it? No? Yes? I think it's not weird, really, because I think, if you're honest, most of us are a bit like that. We have these incredible moments where we feel like God is on the move and stuff is happening and we're full of faith. And then the next minute, we're in, uh, we're in the night. Now, some of the, most of us go like that in our lives. Some of us go like that in our lives. Yeah? Who's a, who's a like that sort of person? Well, I am. So who, who else is a sort of an up and down sort of person? You're invincible, and then you're in the midst of depression. Okay? And some of us are nice and even keeled. If you're like that, it means you're dead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's okay. It takes all sorts. We need all sorts of personalities. It doesn't matter. I've learned over the years, you just have to go, you know what, I am what I am. I can change. I've got weaknesses. I've got things, vulnerabilities. I need to get my vulnerabilities healed up, and I need to strengthen my weaknesses. But normally, I need to strengthen my weaknesses with other people around me. And I've got some strengths. And I go up and I go down. And you know what? It's fine. Stop worrying about it. That's who you are. That's how wonderfully made you are. You know, sometimes we just need to get content with who we are and what God has created us to be. You deal with the problems as they go along. But for goodness sake, you chillax a bit. You are who you are. And when we learn to embrace who we are, you know, God's going to be able to use so much more for his purposes and plans. But Elijah, there's something of fear, there's something of flight, and there's something of wilderness. He runs away, and he had this wonderful picture of Elijah under the broom tree, and then God comes again and provides for him. I love that. Here he's saying, kill me. And God's going, oh, Elijah, you little lovely. Okay. Uh, angels, can you just go and uh, help him, please? Angels, come, feed him, clothe him. Even in your worst moments when you feel like you just want to give up, somehow God is there. Somehow he comes to wherever you are. He hasn't written you off. He hasn't given up with you. You're still the man or woman of God that you're always intentioned to be. He doesn't. He doesn't go, well, you've screwed it up this time. God is good, and God is good all the time, and God is Father, and God loves us. So that means he doesn't write us off. You know, you could have screwed up big time in your life, whether it's, I don't know, sin, or whether it's you've, you've messed up, or whether it's you've failed, or whether it's you just feel something is never going to... No matter where you've got in your life, There is no such thing as such an utter screw-up that God can't do something. I would love this place to be full of people who once felt there were utter screw-ups and somehow God does something. Wouldn't it be great for people who felt they were washed up, had no future, had no hope, to suddenly find that they're a son and daughter of the living God, washed, clothed by him, covered with a beautiful robe with a ring on their finger and sandals on their feet and said, here you go, you're back in the family. 
because you're a son, you're a daughter of the King of Kings. You're no screw-up. Once we get that revelation, once we get that sense of who we are in God, loads of stuff happens. Well, Elijah sort of gets mended enough to go on a little bit of journey, and he goes for 40 days. Interesting, there's another symbol, symbolic uh, number. He goes for 40 days. How long was the flood for? 40 days, wasn't it? How long was Moses in the desert? 40 years. How long was Jesus in the desert? 40 40 is the season of wilderness, 40 is the number of perseverance, 40 is the, is the sense that you have to walk through something. You know, we underestimate big time the difficulties and troubles in our life, the wilderness years. So often we can put them to one side as if somehow they're bad things. Well, I've got news for you. I think it's part of the plan of God to take us through those wilderness moments. Whatever the 40 is for you, it might be your age, Hmm. That's why people have midlife crisis around about 40, isn't it? It may, be, it may be a season of your life where it just doesn't, it feels dry, it feels arid, it feels barren. But you know what? There's something in the aridity, the barrenness of life that God can move. It's almost like it's an essential part. If we want to be a people who move in spiritual authority, who know what it is to hear God. Why was it the early church fathers, many of them went out into the desert to be alone with God, to to the desert places so they could hear God clearly. They wanted to hear God so God could speak to them. They wanted to be communing with God. There is something about the wilderness that isn't to be rejected, but is to be embraced. You know, a change of your perspective might be, you might be facing a tough, tough, tough time. Well, rather than going like the woman of Zarephath. Ah! Why not say, you know what? It's a wilderness. I embrace the wilderness of the moment. It's tough. It's hard. I'm not finding it easy. But rather than complaining and moaning, I'm going to somehow find God in this moment. You each as individuals, I guarantee, will have moments. If you have a heart and a passion for God and you want to move in the power and anointing of God, you will, will have moments of wilderness. And I would like to suggest to you that rather than that being something that's there to destroy you, it's something to make you. There's something in the humility of the wilderness which makes us the people of God we're supposed to be. There's something in when God comes to us in the hardest times that that's what makes us who we really are. Uh, And I think uh, uh, Elijah on his way in his 40 days, he found something of God You know, your wilderness can come through sin, through failure, through some deliberate choice you make. It doesn't matter how you get into a wilderness. You don't have to be finding the quickest way out. You can just go, well, God, you know what? I can know your blessing even in the wilderness. I can know what it is to be content in all things, I think the Apostle Paul says, doesn't he? I have learned the secret of being content. In every situation, whether I've got riches or nothing, whether I'm high or low, whether I'm afflicted or in peace, the key, guys, is contentment. Think how your life will shine to your neighbors, your friends, your family, when in the face of adversity, you you go, like Jesus, asleep in the boat when the ship was blowing around. He goes, you what? Oh, yeah, well, stuff happens, doesn't it? Think how... 
that will communicate. Because they'll go, how can I have what you've got? I want that contentment. Well, let me tell you all about it. Well, just to finish up the, the other bookend. So we went from one bookend to another bookend. And then the other bookend in 19, chapter 19, 11 to 18. He's on the mountain and he's praying. And finally, God speaks to him. And he says, and he, and he, and he shouts to God in some way. He says the same language actually twice, which is, which is interesting. Um, just trying to see if I can find. He says, I, verse 10, I zealously served the Lord God. The people of Israel broken a covenant. You torn down your altars and killed everyone. And now they're trying to kill me too. I think the first time he says it, he's saying it out of some degree. Of, ah! And then he t- God says, well, go up the mountain. He goes up the mountain. And then you have, what comes first? The wind comes. And God wasn't in the wind. The earthquake comes. Boom, boom. God wasn't in the earthquake. The fire comes. Well, he's just had fire. God's got to be in the fire. He's had it only, only a week ago, or no, it would have been a month ago. A bit of fire. He knows all about fire, does Elijah, but God wasn't in the fire. What was God in? The still, still voice of God, the whisper. You see, God can choose how to speak to you in whatever way he wants. It might be the wind, it might be the earthquake, it might be the fire, and I love all those sorts of Holy Spirit moments. But sometimes it's just in the, hey, let's talk. I think if our expectation is for God to move again, that there is a sound of heavy rain coming, is our expectation we're going to relive the good old days? Or is it our expectation that God is going to meet us afresh and differently, and it's going to look different, it's going to feel different. I've got a feeling it's going to be some of the former, but probably it's going to be different. Because God moves. We, we don't really care how he moves. We care if he moves, don't we? We just want him to move amongst us. And we ought to celebrate every moment when God moves. And I hope that like the church is full of diverse people, that God will move diversity amongst us. So however God moves, we welcome it. I believe he's probably in the whisper at this moment. Can you hear the sound of rain? So spiritual authority. Our job, we hear the voice of God and we obey. It's interesting, right at the end there, then God speaks to him about what his his next assignment is. His next assignment is one to set in place the new authority on the earth. That was his authority, setting a new king of the northern and southern kingdoms. So he's got new orders from heaven out of the moment of wilderness, out of the place of wilderness where he hears the voice of God, he's given new orders. Our job, friends, is to hear the voice of the Lord, to obey his orders, orders and obedience, and God's job is to provide and bring power.